0: Thank you so much for joining with us. We are glad that you are tuning in. And just so you know what's going on here at Calvary, we are super excited. Uh, Tomorrow, Monday, August 16th, we'll start our VBS program for our kids, age three to fifth grade. So if you have a kid, we'd love to see them here. It's not too late to register. You can do that by going to calvary.org forward slash VBS. Also, if you got friends and neighbors, make sure you're inviting them. It's gonna be an exciting time for our kids Uh, Each morning this week from 9 to noon, we're looking forward to seeing you there. Also, please mark your calendars. We'll have a kickoff tailgate celebration September the 12th with the Vikings game on the big screen here in the worship center. So please make plans to join us for that on September the 12th. And then we want to say thank you. Thank you for your continued generosity and giving Uh, through this time. It has allowed us to continue to drive the mission forward here at Calvary, and we are very thankful for your giving. So if you call Calvary home, you can give by clicking that button in the comments section or by going to calvary.org forward slash give. And if you're tuning in today for the first time, we're just so thankful you're here, and we don't want you to feel any pressure to give. Now, if you've been tuning in with us or tracking with us this summer, you know that we are in the middle of a Sunday School Favorites series. So as we start this morning, I want to give you a chance to share with the people in the room with you what your favorite Sunday School story was. Or if you didn't grow up going to church, what do you think they do in Sunday School? So you can share one of those two, your favorite Sunday School story, Or, what do you think they do in Sunday school? I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do that right now. So go. I have a variety of memories from my Sunday, my time in Sunday school. I remember earning stars for bringing my Bible or for coming with my memory verse or for bringing a friend or for perfect attendance in a month. I felt like they just gave out stars all the time. The other things I remember, I remember those Bible stories and the core that they are to the foundation of my faith. I don't know that I could tell you any particular one or how it was told to me, but over the time, hearing those stories and having that foundation laid for who Jesus was. I can remember ministry lessons I learned in Sunday school. I learned that you should never put the supply closet in the fifth grade boys Sunday school classroom. We went to get a stapler one day when I was in fifth grade and one of the guys opened the cabinet and was like, there are 20 staplers in here. And so very shortly, we all had one opened up shooting at each other. And as our Sunday school teacher, I think was losing his mind in the middle of it. I can remember skipping Sunday school as I got older, sneaking out the back when my mom dropped me off to go get donuts or uh, hang out with my girlfriend and all those kind of things. But what I remember most about Sunday school was the people. I remember those teachers who invested in me, who were so passionate about making sure we knew that Jesus loved us and cared for us. And I'm thankful for the work that they did that has got me to the point where I am today. And so when you think about Sunday school, when you think about those things, those are some of the core things that are happening in the lives of our kids. But as we dig deeper into these stories, we hope that they're challenging you in your faith journey, and that they're helping you to take that next step of faith that God is asking you to take. Now, one of my favorite Sunday school stories was about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It was Elijah, he was one, versus 800, and there's something about just the way that that story speaks to the teenage boy's heart, or preteen boy, the war, the violence, the The courage it took to stand up was really super engaging to me. And it's a great story, but hard shift, it's not what we're going to talk about today. Where we're going today and this morning is a very cool and very important story that I think we need to know and we need to really process and think about. It's found in Matthew chapter 3. So if you've got your phone, go ahead and open it up to Matthew 3. Or if you've got a paper Bible, Matthew comes right after Malachi, right before Mark. If you get to Luke, you need to go back two books. It's the first book in the New Testament. And it's one of the four Gospels that tell us about the life and ministry and time of Jesus here on earth with us. The main thing we're going to talk about today is Jesus' baptism. But it's almost impossible to talk about the significance of Jesus' baptism without at least understanding a little bit of context, and especially as it relates to John, who would baptize Jesus. And so we're gonna begin at Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. We're gonna walk through, see a little bit about who John is, and then dive into the significance of Jesus' baptism this morning. So, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never ending fire. All right, we need to pause for a minute. I want to take a look at this guy, John the Baptist, or also known as John the Baptizer. He's a pretty eclectic guy. You know, he he lives, and some of you might even be wondering, why is this guy so angry? Is it because he lives in the wilderness? Is he angry because his diet consists of bugs dipped in honey? I'm going to confess to you, I have no clue what it tastes like to eat a locust. I also have zero desire to find out What that might taste like. And honey or no honey, not interested in trying that, but that was John's basic diet. And John's message was a concise and powerful message, but his message is also why the Pharisees and Sadducees have come to see him. His message is very simple repent and turn away from your sins. Now, that word repent is a pretty churchy word, and sometimes it's hard to understand, but I think it's best to. Explained by this story of these two little girls in Sunday school. The Sunday school teacher asks them, What does it mean to repent? And the first little girl raises her hand and she says, To repent means to say you're sorry for your sins. The teacher says, Very good. Anybody else have something to add? A second little girl raises her hand and says, It's being sorry enough to quit. To repent of something is to be sorry enough to stop doing it. You know, I think we've all said we're sorry. We've apologized for something. And maybe deep down we knew or we thought we'd stop doing it. But true repentance isn't just a casual, God, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I offended you. It's a call to change the way we live. It's a call to actually own our behavior and to change that, to change the way we interact with our neighbor. Pastor and teacher D.A. Carson says this about repentance Repentance presupposes that our lives are off course and we need to turn them around. But it also points us in the direction of the Savior who's able to make payment for our sins. You see, repentance is necessary because each and every one of us have missed the mark, we've made mistakes. But John's message is to call people to that repentance, but to point them to the Jesus who is coming, to the Messiah who would come, the one who would forgive their sins. And that's exactly what John is doing when he says, there's one greater than I who are coming. You see, we're not all alone or stuck in our sin. And it's John's passion for that message and for the work of God in his life that brought so many people to him to be baptized, that caused so many people to come and repent and to experience the forgiveness that God has. But it's also that passion that has brought the Pharisees and Sadducees together at the Jordan River that day. You see, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're not friends. They are enemies joining forces against a common enemy. Because John is pulling people out of their ministry. He's pulling people away from their church. He's saying things that are contrary to what they're teaching. And they're not happy about it. And so John, seeing this, seeing that these are religious leaders who are leading people astray, who have forgotten the command of God to love God with your whole heart. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Calls them a brood of vipers. And it's in this response that it brings out John's anger and John's frustration. John's not frustrated with the ordinary, everyday people who don't understand yet. John's angry and he's frustrated with religious leaders who are leading people astray, who know better because they know the law of Moses. They know the Old Testament. They know what Moses taught the people of Israel. You see, it's because of their lack of humility that brings out John's anger. It's the same way with Jesus further on, and you'll notice that John and Jesus reserve their harshest words for religious leaders who need to repent of what they're doing. You See, these leaders were claiming their arrogance and their pride and their ability to follow God's law, but they'd simply turned the faith, the relationship that God wanted to have with them into a list of do's and don'ts and a bunch of boxes that needed to be checked off. And if you could check off all the boxes, God would love you. And that's not the message of the God that John was preaching. It's not the message of the God that Jesus came to proclaim. And that's why John is so frustrated in his words with them. And so it's into this moment, into this frustration with these religious leaders, with the crowd gathered around, that Jesus comes. And I want to pick up the story in Matthew chapter three, verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. "I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you," he said. "So why are you coming to me?" But Jesus said, "It should be done." for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. We see a very different attitude of John in the second half of this passage. As Jesus comes into the scene, it's John's humble attitude and the words spoken by God himself about Jesus that give us a great picture of why baptism is so important and why that every time we baptize a child or adult, it's such an exciting time in the life of the church. Now, if you have tuned out everything I've said so far or missed any of it, or if you just want to take a nap for the rest of what I'm going to talk about, don't miss this. And that is baptism reminds us of our true identity and purpose in Christ. Every time we celebrate baptism, we have a chance to remember who Jesus says we are. And what Jesus has called us to do. So what does Jesus' baptism tell us about his identity? It's not through the act of baptism that Jesus becomes the Son of God. But it is in this act of baptism that Jesus' identity as the Son of God is revealed to all of those who are watching. It's not John who declares these things, but God, the Father himself, through the Spirit, declares that this Jesus is the Messiah. He is the hope of the world. He is the one that the Israelites from the Old Testament have been waiting for. Jesus has been. Jesus is and Jesus always will be. And in all of that, he has been the son of God forever. And it's this son with whom God is well pleased. Jesus' identity as the long-awaited Messiah is revealed to everyone who is watching. However, we see this is also a dual nature. Because John says, wait, Jesus, shouldn't you be baptizing me? Why am I baptizing you? And Jesus makes this statement, because we have to fulfill all righteousness. And John's like, uh, what? What Jesus is saying there is, I have to fulfill my identity. Pastor James Montgomery Boyce says it this way, in Jesus' baptism by John, Jesus identified himself with us in our humanity, thereby taking on himself the obligation to fulfill all righteousness, so that he might be a perfect savior and substitute for us. You see, God has spoken and declared that this is the Messiah, 100% God. But in the act of baptism, Jesus shows that he is also 100% man. Now, we were on family vacation a couple of weeks ago and my oldest son Josiah and I were talking about something and he said I'm going to do it 150%. And I said there's no such thing as 150%. And he got quiet in the back seat and he goes, that's not true, dad. What do you mean it's not true? You can only have 100% of something. He goes, that's not true. I said, tell me a time when there was something that had more than 100%. And he's like, Jesus. He was a 100% man. God, that's 200%. And my wife chuckles in the passenger seat of the car and just laughs and says, I think he got you. So Jesus is this mind boggling thing for us, right? He is 100% God. And at the same time, he's 100% man, 200%. But it's in that identity that he's able to be our savior the one who came, the one whose death and resurrection provides for us a new identity. And so what does this identity that Jesus have has in his baptism mean for us when we think about our, our identity as it relates to our baptism? First, our identity as followers of Jesus is not in our baptism, but in our belief in who God is and the the work that Jesus has done in our lives. Listen to the word of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. You see, when we repent of the mistakes we've made and we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, Paul says God adopts us as his sons and his daughters. We become God's kids. We get all the benefits of being heirs. Our sins are paid for. There's no unpaid ticket to heaven. Jesus paid it all when he Died on the cross and came out of the grave. All those sins, no matter what we've done, are forgiven. And when God the Father looks at us, all he sees is holy perfection because of what Jesus has done. But even before we repent, Paul says, God initiates a relationship with his people. It starts with him, he took the first steps. Whether you're one day old or 100 years old, God chooses us first. And then he waits for our faithful response. Like Jesus, our identity as followers of Christ are made public at our baptisms. But our identity as followers of Jesus began the minute we believed. As we baptize babies here at Calvary, their parents are claiming on their behalf the promises of Ephesians four through 1, 1, 4 through eight in the life of their kids they 're publicly declaring to commit to raise these kids to be followers of Jesus, and as that kid grows, their identity in Christ is secured when they choose to repent and to follow Jesus all of our identities rest on who we say Jesus is, not on how or when we're baptized. The second thing that baptism reminds us of is our purpose. Jesus's purpose was made clear in his baptism. John's message is a message of repentance because God's kingdom is near. But if we take a look at the Gospel of Mark, which is another author's telling of Jesus' life, he adds a detail that Matthew left out of the story. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says this, The time promised by God has come at last, Jesus announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus' purpose was to bring the good news to all who would hear it. Throughout the Gospels, we see this good news and how it brought change to the lives of those who encountered Jesus and believed in him. Jesus comes out of the water, he hears the words of the Father, he sees the dove rest on his shoulders, and he sets his eyes on his future, the cross the cross that will pave a way for us to be able to experience that good news. The cross where he will give his life so that we can be in relationship with God and the tomb that will be empty on Sunday morning. You see, Jesus' heart is that as each person sees the miracles, listens to his teaching and follows him, They would know the love and life change that's available through his death and resurrection. Jesus' purpose is to head to the cross, to give his life on our behalf, and to come out of the grave on Sunday morning. Paul makes it clear that this is God's purpose from the beginning of time. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 12 this time. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now, you Gentiles who have also heard the good news that God saved you, and when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised. And that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we could praise and glorify him. Jesus' purpose was to bring the good news. That we have an eternity secured because of his death and resurrection. So what's the purpose that we're reminded of in our baptism as followers of Jesus, of people who have said yes to Jesus, repented of their sins, believed in him, our purpose is to share the gospel every chance we get. Each time we baptize a baby or an adult, we declare the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is the way to eternal life. That Jesus' life gives us life here and now, today, in this world. And that through his death and resurrection, we can truly live. I hope that each time we think about Jesus' baptism, and each time we celebrate a baptism here at Calvary, we not only think about the beginning of Matthew's gospel, but we think about Jesus' words to his disciples at the end of it. When he said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' call for us to go and make disciples is not a call for us to go and share the gospel with people we like, or with people who look like us, or with people who have their lives together, or with people who are nice. It's not our job to evaluate who we share the gospel with, or who has the right to hear the gospel or not hear the gospel. To be quite honest, that's above our pay grade. Our job is very simply to share the gospel in word and deed with everyone we interact with, every chance we get. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how we feel about them, we are to share the gospel with them. We're called to share it with all the nations. Word and deed. And then Jesus says, teach them my commands. Don't teach them the checklist like the religious leaders did in John the Baptist's time. Don't teach them to be good moral people. Teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart. To understand that this God loves them so much he wants to be in relationship with them. And to be in a relationship means to read his word. Means to spend time in prayer talking to Him. Means to be with other believers who can encourage and help us grow and help us understand more about how much this God loves us and who this God truly is. And our purpose is to teach them that in response to the love that they have experienced, to go and love their neighbor, to be good neighbors to love those around them, to share generously and graciously and to care for those that God brings in their path. You see, baptism reminds us of our true identity and purpose in Christ. This Sunday school story is not a story about a guy in the wilderness who wore itchy clothes, ate bugs, dipped in honey and made religious leaders angry. It's a story that reminds us there's hope in this world. There's forgiveness, no matter what we've done. And eternal life is available to anyone and everyone who will repent. Believe Jesus is who he said he is, who God the Father and God the Spirit said he was. And it's because of his death and his resurrection three days later, that our identities are made new when we put our belief in him. And once we've experienced that love and forgiveness, we have a purpose. And that purpose is to go and tell as many people as we can about the God who loves them, the God who died to be in a relationship with them, and about the incredible gift of eternal life, life in his kingdom that's available to them today. So no matter where you are today, your identity is not the sum of your failures. No matter how down you might feel today or how much you think you've disappointed Jesus, your identity is not in those mistakes. You are sons and daughters of a God who loves you and died for you, to be in relationship with you. And as God's son and God's daughter, you get the incredible privilege of sharing that love with everyone around you. Every time we celebrate baptism, it should remind us of our true identity and our purpose in Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful that this is not dependent on us. God, we're thankful that you sent your son, that you brought him to that river to be baptized by John, that you led him to the cross where he gave up his life so that we may live. And God, we're thankful that He conquered the grave and that death has no sting and we have nothing to fear because we're a new creation. Our identity is one of forgiveness, that we are forgiven sons and daughters of the one true king. God, let us rest in that peace. But God, let us be passionate like John was passionate about sharing the truth of the gospel with those we come in contact with. Give us wisdom about how to do it best so that people will hear the truth of your word and their lives will change. Give us wisdom about how to do it so that those around us will hear. Help us to see the needs around us that need met and give us wisdom about how to meet those needs so that we can explain we do that because of the gift we've received from your son and that that gift is available to everybody. Thank you for our identity and our purpose. And thank you for the gift of baptism that reminds us of those two things. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.